Welcome to BitCast on Podcast One, the video game podcast with the Axeman. Welcome back to the show. Back on Halloween, Toby Fox, the Undertale guy, released a special survey for people to download. Surprise, the survey was actually a demo for the first chapter of Deltarune. What is Deltarune? Well, it's kind of a spiritual successor to Undertale. It's not really a sequel, but it has a lot of similar dressings, the same sense of humor, kind of an update to the battle system, that kind of stuff. Are you interested in that? That's the best I can do to summarize the game without giving too much away. If you're interested, I'd recommend downloading the survey and then playing the demo. You can get through it in an afternoon. Then you can come back and listen to me sort of unpack, I guess. Because there's going to be a bit of spoiler talk. I don't want to give absolutely everything away, but I'm definitely going to get into some stuff that maybe you don't want to hear right away, both for this game and for Undertale. So there's your warning. The first thing to note about Deltarune is the title. It's an anagram of Undertale, and it's also the name of a symbol that showed up every once in a while in Undertale. Toriel and Asgore had the symbol on their clothes, and about halfway in, there's this turtle guy who explains that the Deltarune is a symbol for how an angel, or some other being like that, would enter the monster world and leave it empty in their wake. This could either refer to a merciful child freeing everyone, or a genocidal child killing them all. And yes, the symbol does make an appearance in this game. Right away, they have you customize a player character and name them, and then they name yourself. So we don't have another Frisk surprise. Except the game immediately and blatantly disregards your avatar, and gives you a kid named Chris. According to the game's logic, no one can choose who they are. That's pretty interesting, and that sets the tone for a lot of the game. One of the big things in Undertale was that the player's choices really do matter. Well, while Deltarune goes in the opposite direction and tries to hammer in the idea that none of your choices are really meaningful, I still think that it's gonna be a little more important than they let on. Other than Chris, the biggest example of the theme of pointless choice is the battle system. Once again, you can find non-lethal ways to win fights, but it's not as important here. The game isn't going to change no matter how many monsters you try to kill. Some details, sure, but overall, nah. That said, I still tried to be as pacifistic as I could, because I still think the game is going to try to surprise me with something later on. While Undertale was often compared to RPGs, the RPG elements in Undertale were rather lacking. In Deltarune, they really tried to flesh it out more. You have a full party now, you can do things besides fighting or special actions or sparing. One of your party members can put people to sleep, for instance, and that plays into the more complex sparing methods in this game. Enemy attacks are still represented by dodging individualized bullets on a board, but now there's a system where if you allow your cursor to get close enough to a bullet without taking damage, you get tension points from that. 
You also get these points by foregoing your turn and just guarding. These tension points will allow you to cast more powerful spells and stuff. You can also have the party members do specialized actions, which will eat up their turn and Chris's turn, but it has the trade-off of affecting more enemies. So it's apparent that Toby really tried to beef up the battle system. On the subject of Toby's beefing, no. the game's visuals are a lot better. The sprite work is better, with more fluid animations and more attention to detail. I'd like to say that the level of art is more consistent than it used to be, too. In Undertale, as you went further, the backgrounds got a little more complicated as you went, starting with some kind of NES-level backgrounds in the ruins, while the core looked like it was something from a Game Boy Advance game. Not to mention how the battle system had a separate art style from the rest of the game, with occasional inconsistencies from the overworld designs, like how sometimes Sans' height was a little different in the fight screen or the overworld screen. Other things like that. Now this hasn't entirely disappeared, as you'll still get to a place like, say, the King's Castle, and you'll find everything is blackened for some reason. The shopkeeper is colored like an Undertale enemy instead of his usual blue self. It's really strange. All this advancement did come at a cost, though. Toby did most of Chapter 1's grunt work, with certain exception in regards to some of the art, and it took him years to put this all together, compared to the mere months it took him to make Undertale's demo. A lot of this was explained on a twit-longer post of Toby's. He has no clue how long it's going to take him to finish Deltarune, especially because he knows he can't do it alone. This demo was written in 2012. That predates the Undertale demo. Toby's gonna need a full team, which he has no experience directing. So I hope everyone enjoys the Deltarune demo, because that's all we're gonna get for a long, long time even in the best-case scenario. I don't have another place in the episode to fit this, but the demo comes in both English and Japanese writing, so have fun with that. It's pretty cool, I think. The story for the game fits the mechanics in that it's a lot more RPG-inspired than Undertale. Undertale barely had a story. You just walk further and further from your starting point until you reach the end of the game and just experience the characters and oddities that show up as you go. You're trapped underground and want to go home, but you may have to fight the king of all monsters. Okay, maybe I'm being a little unfair. Each area of Undertale had kind of a subplot, but not really, and it was all still solved by just going further to the right. In Deltarune, it first looks like a sequel to the happy ending of Undertale, where all the... M <sighs> now, let's hear what Deltarune does. At first, it looks like a sequel to the happy ending of Undertale, all the monsters living together on the surface, but it's not that simple. One red flag is that Chris is not Frisk, or even Kara, yet they're still Toriel's child. I know it's said that Toriel and Asgore would outlive an adopted human child, but still. On a related note, it's worth noticing that Chris is the only human in town. 
You go to school and you see some familiar monsters, including your teacher, Alphys, the scientist from the last game. She asks you and a big, tough monster girl named Susie to go get some chalk, even though I don't think schools use chalk anymore. Chris and Susie have a bit of tension because Susie's a big, tough, scary delinquent, and you both fall into an alternate world where your costumes and colors change. Before long, you meet a guy named... Okay, how do I pronounce this? Ralsei? Ralsei? I'm feeling committed to the say part of it. Ralsei? 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 Oh, boy. We We could be here all afternoon. And he tells you that you two and him are all fated heroes who have to save the world. So we already have a lot more exposition that gets us started on our quest compared to what we had in Undertale. A lot more things are made immediately apparent, and we have a more concrete goal than just go home, get out of the monster den. As you go, Susie tends to flip-flop her allegiance. Chris and the other guy form a tight bond in short order, while Susie is obsessed with simply fighting every opponent she comes across. You have a recurring mid-boss thing named Lancer, and he's a lot like Papyrus in that he's a lot less menacing than he'd have you believe. Susie gets tired of dealing with the party and goes to be villains with Lancer, but their villain careers amount to eating donuts and making you design a robot that never even gets used and then they lounge in lawn chairs together. Despite all that, they become surprisingly close, and after Lancer decides that he likes Chris and the other guy, being the impressionable little tyke he is, it eventually osmoses to Susie that maybe she shouldn't be acting like a major jerk. She has the most notable character arc in this demo, and while it's simplistic, I think it's very well done. And just in time to face off with Lancer's dad, the king, who is a bona fide despot. Unlike any enemy in Undertale, even Flowey, Lancer's dad has no redeeming qualities whatsoever. Even his own son's life doesn't mean much to him. The way you depose him is reliant on whether or not you've been pacifistic, but again, your choices don't matter. The end result is that he gets, you know, taken care of, non-lethally, so he never even dies, no matter what happens. And everyone else lives. Either Lancer overthrows him with all the villagers who also don't like him, or he just gets put to sleep. That's about it. Your non-Lancer friend who has the name that I don't know how to pronounce, he bids you farewell, and you learn that he's secretly a goat monster, just like Toriel. Between that and his name being an anagram for Asriel, it's a rather suspicious parallel. In most games, this anagram stuff would probably be considered a crazy, just wild guess. Unless you're game theory. But Toby's been known to hit you with the anagrams if he's feeling especially tricky that day. Chris and Susie return home, and you can talk to the monster townspeople, and it becomes apparent enough that Ezreal is alive in this setting, and he's off to college. And talking to familiar monsters shows that their backstories are a little different. Undyne's back, and she has both her eyes now, and she's never met Alphys. For those of you who might not remember, Undyne had an eye patch in Undertale, and she and Alphys became an item in the true pacifist ending. 
but a lot of nuances to the monster that really let it sink in that this is a new world, and Toby has confirmed that it's an alternate universe. What are the implications of that? Naturally, we don't know, and we won't know for a long time, but the real kicker is the cliffhanger ending. Again, I don't want to give away too much, but it's a very startling implication that Chris isn't exactly the character you've come to envision them as. They might have a similar relationship between the player that the player had with Frisk in the last game, after all. Which, the game kind of puts it up front that Chris isn't you, but still, it's a very interesting scene with interesting implications, and now we get to sit on those implications for several years until Toby and his eventual team manage to put the rest of the game together. I don't really have the energy to hypothesize about it too much, though. Overall, I like the demo. I was already in a good mood with Undertale going into this demo. I kind of got embittered towards the game a bit for a while, but then I watched Jabroni Mike playing it for the first time. He's a streamer on Twitch, friends with Vine Sauce, and it reminded me that I still do like Undertale. So it came at a good time. I was more receptive to Deltarune as a result. Despite all the differences, it felt very similar to Undertale, like I was back. Like I was visiting my old high school after graduating and having gone to college. The town sequence at the end had all these familiar faces from the last game, and it was really nice to see them all again, even if they could technically be considered different versions of themselves. Seeing Asgore's flower shop, Burger Pant's horrible mascot job, an older version of the Monster Kid, even Sans being himself... Man, I went to the cemetery, and I actually felt bad when I saw all those headstones and I recognized who all of those monsters could be. Strangely enough, Papyrus is the only no-show. He's referenced and named, I think, but he doesn't physically appear at all, and he's the only significant Undertale character to be in that situation. Except maybe Nabstablook. What's more, his and Sans' house looks exactly the same, and Sans' store is just the same sprite as the Grillby restaurant, but hastily edited. Some people might want to find lore in that, but I'm just chalking that up to Sans' laziness. The new characters are pretty fun, too. I already talked about Susie, though. I already think that she's pretty great. The immediate fan base that this game has garnered has already fallen in love with Ralph's, say, Ralph's, Ralph, you know the guy. Because of the fact that he's adorable, everyone loves him. He's not my favorite, but he has some good lines, especially when he flirts with the enemy encounters. Lancer was surprisingly touching in true Undertale fashion. His dad is a pretty cool twist from what you would come to expect from Undertale, just pulling the rug out from under you, really hammers in how Deltarune won't just be the same old song and dance again. One of the fan-favorite characters is Rules Card, whose name is very difficult to read and spell. And that's about the only difficult thing about Rules Card. He's kind of a cross between Metaton EX and Papyrus, being a very flamboyant creature, but with a fixation on puzzles. He only really shows up during the castle sequence, which is not a lot of time, but 
He makes the most of it, even showing up as a surprise shopkeeper. You get a few new faces in the surface town, but most of them didn't leave a strong impact on me. Except one monster. Caddy's father shows up, and he acts very suspiciously similar to another purple character. Waluigi! No, not him. It, it's Mr. Dink. He acts like Mr. Dink from Doug. I don't get it. It's amazing. I love it. Though I should say that the Mr. Dink joke and the possible reference to steamed hams in one of the rules card scenes kind of makes the game feel a little specific with its humor. Like it's referencing memes that are... Oh, okay, I don't know how many people are, are, are making Mr. Dink memes besides me. Like, I know... I know he's a vine sauce meme, and that makes me wonder if Toby is a vine sauce fan, because I know Joel, the second most popular streamer from there, did play Undertale in the past. But it feels very referential humor, is what I'm saying, and I felt like Undertale was good at avoiding that, so it's a little weird to see all that in Deltarune. Or maybe I'm just weird, because I, I think there's a Garfield joke in Undertale, I'm... I don't know, I'm getting distracted, though. Curse you, Mr. Dink. I should also mention there's a bonus boss who's rather difficult to fight and tricky to find, but they're not locked away based on your body count. In Undertale, you'd have these cool fights that were entirely dependent on you having to kill a bunch of monsters to get there, but in Deltarune, you always have the ability to fight this boss, because your choices don't matter. And the boss character, I should say, is pretty well-liked. There's a lot of weird lore implications with him. Now we're going to get on to today's favorite songs. Toby did the music again, just like with Undertale, and he's really stepped it up. One advantage this game has over Undertale is that it doesn't rely on chiptune as much. That 8-bit sound. I'll be honest, I'm not the biggest fan of chiptune music, and... It made Undertale feel gratuitous with its retroisms. Felt like the game wasn't entirely genuine. I don't know. This game mostly does away with that, being more straightforward with its music presentation. There's still some chiptune to be had, so if you like that stuff, don't worry. Narrowing down favorite songs will be a little bit tricky, so I said, screw it, and I'm just gonna list a handful of favorites instead of the usual three. Not to suggest that Deltarune is suddenly my all-time favorite soundtrack, but there aren't a whole lot of songs, so as a result, I feel okay using more than just three. The battle theme, Rude Buster, feels a lot more intense and lively than Undertale's battle theme. It's a good indication that this game's tone will be somewhat different from Undertale's. Field of Hopes and Dreams starts with that cool playing-through-an-old-radio effect before picking up in earnest just a few seconds later. It's a really good exploration jam, and I think it goes well with the somewhat dark but still playful tone of Deltarune. Scarlet Forest plays in the forest area, and it sounds like an honest-to-goodness orchestral piece. I'm getting flashbacks to Fantasia or something. Checker Dance plays when you battle the recurring Checker mini-boss. It's got that whistling flute sound and monkey sound effects, I think. It's kind of a hard song to describe for me. It really gets energetic as it goes, though, a lot like the boss itself. 
And the last song pick is The World Revolving, which plays against that hidden super boss. It's this chaotic clown music that just really suits the high energy of the fight and the weird attacks that the boss pulls. And that's about all I have to say about Deltarune for now. The future of this game is a little too uncertain for my liking, so I can't say I'm on the edge of my seat waiting for more. But I really do hope that Toby and his future team can make it happen. I'll say that I appreciate how much people are in love with this game. It's Toby's first real project after Undertale, but people love it all the same, and it hits us with no warning whatsoever. I think the support for this game is going to go a long way, even if Toby's not interested in crowdfunding it. All that goodwill has to come back to him somehow. I'll probably talk about Deltarune more on the show when it becomes more relevant in the future, so look forward to that. You know, if you like listening to me talk about Deltarune. If you don't, I'm not sure why you're still here. But anyway, yeah, you can stay up to date by subscribing to the BitCast on the Podcast One website and mobile app and on iTunes. Same old, same old. A few months ago, I also did an episode about Undertale with my friend Henry, so you can listen to that if you'd like. And in the meantime, I will see you on the next one. Listen to BitCast anytime on PodcastOne.com and on the Podcast One app.